This morning, it's my pleasure to introduce Reverend Wayne Frazier. Uh, he served from 1991 until 2016 at Back Creek ARP Church in Charlotte. And uh, now they have a diversity of members and, and worshipers. And now, uh, now that he's retired, Reverend Wayne, he serves as the halftime as the church vitality coach for Outreach North America. Um, and we're delighted to have you here and hear God's word from you. Thank you, Jonathan. Great to, to be here on this Lord's Day and appreciate the, the leadership that uh, the Clover ARP Church over the years has provided to the ARP Synod, and it's just a joy for me to be able to be here. And this is my wife, Donna. She's sitting on the second row keeping track of me. So it's Wayne and Jane. <clears throat> so um, very easy to remember. But it's been uh, great in uh, retirement, not only working with uh, through revitalization, but having opportunities to preach. It's a great opportunity to get around and see what God is doing in the Associated Reformed Presbyterian Church. And uh, we're excited about what God is doing. I'm going to preach this morning on this matter of blessing others from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Let me just give you a context before I read the scripture. Uh, we are facing, you know, Scripture has its own context. It was a time of persecution, particularly Nero was persecuting Christians. And yet the first uh, epistle of Peter is about hope in the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficult times. But I would like to say why I'm preaching on this at this time is the context in which we live in, a, in the American culture. We have moved from a Judeo-Christian culture, which I can somewhat remember in my youthful years, uh, to a post-Christian culture. Uh, even some folks would call it a post-truth culture. And because of that, there's a hostility toward evangelical Christianity. It doesn't take much time as far as looking at the media or listening to the TV or reading the newspapers to know that that is indeed the way it is. So the question is, how do we respond? Well, guess what? It's just simply going back to the Bible and finding out how God's people lived, whether it was in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, in the midst of a culture that was hostile toward Christianity. I mean, in first century, uh, Christian church was in the midst of a culture there in Rome that called Christianity an illicit religion. And so the question is, how do we respond? Listen as we read God's word. Um, and I am reading from the New International Version, 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is evil, then you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But if in your heart set apart Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you it's infallible, it's inerrant, but we thank you that it thoroughly equips us unto every good work, that it changes our hearts by your word and spirit, that it indeed conforms us to the image of Christ, that it makes us respond in ways that we do not naturally respond as sinners. And so, Father, we would ask by your word and spirit now that you would indeed uh, change and transform our hearts and lives and that we might be a people that are a blessing because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may or may not have seen the movie Pay It Forward that uh, stars Helen Hunt and Kevin Spacey. But it's about uh, Helen Hunt's little boy, Trevor McKinney. Uh, He's a middle school student, and he's troubled because his mother, uh, who's played by Helen Hunt, uh, is troubled by alcoholism. And he's also concerned about his father, who is absent, but nonetheless, he was abusive. And so he's in middle school, and the teacher by the name of Mr. Simon Monet Uh, is a new social studies teacher, and he gives them this fascinating assignment that they need to think about some way that they can change the world and put it into action. And so Trevor's idea is to pay it forward, that, that you would do something unmerited, undeserved to three people, and that they would then do it to three other people, and that this would exponentially multiply and impact the world. Well, what Trevor does is he cares for a homeless drug addict, his social studies teacher whose face has been scarred because of a fire, and also a bullied classmate in his own classroom. So these people, you see, then, are to then pay it forward to three other people that they don't know who don't deserve such kindness. And thus, you end up changing the world. Now, if you watch the Pay It Forward trailer on uh, YouTube, it's kind of interesting. It asks the question at the beginning, what if the world is a big disappointment? What if the world is a big disappointment? In the camera pans a number of different situations, a young woman who's ready to jump off of a bridge in despair a homeless man who's trying to warm himself by a fire, a drug addict, and then even a teenage girl who is on a respirator because she's been in a very serious accident. And is it not true that often this sinful world that's broken is an incredible disappointment? See, our hopes are foolishly anchored in this world, and and we take the good things that God gives that are good gifts, and we make them the center of our life, and they become a great disappointment. They become our ultimate hope. And you see, when you take something that's in this world 
and make it our ultimate hope, it becomes an idol. And idols always fail us. Everything in this world will always fail us. Even the incredible good gifts, for instance, of friendship, marriage, family, even abundant resources. I mean, the point is, even folks that are incredibly faithful to us, they they die or they move. And so the reminder is, you see, if we're looking on anything in this world to be our ultimate hope and we're pinning it on that, we will ultimately be disappointed. And so how can we act and live differently in a world that so often does disappoint. See, the idea pay it forward is not something that's dragged up from the recesses of the sinful human heart and mind. See, we hear the expression, uh, random acts of kindness. Well, guess what? They are never something that is just simply initiated from an individual's heart or mind. You know, the fascinating thing is that every good thing that happens in this world is either due to God's common grace, that he's gracious to all people in some ways, or through God's uh, saving grace, that he's gracious to, to his own people in all ways. And so, you know, every good thing that you and I experience in this world is either due to God's common grace or his saving grace. See, blessing others is a radical idea in a sinful, broken world. It's only ultimately anchored in the character of God himself, and it's also wonderfully anchored in history. Because God the Father sent his one and only Son, uh, the Creator sent his Son into this world to live and to die and to be resurrected for us. And he's coming again in the good, good news is that what has been broken is going to be fully restored and the best is yet to come, even in the midst of our disappointment. So how then shall we live gospel-transformed lives? Well, by returning a blessing for a curse, which is really the very essence of what the gospel is, and that's what it means to live out the gospel in daily life. Well, Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, verse 1, to God's elect strangers in the world who have been scattered. I mean, these followers face a much more difficult uh, situation than we do in life. Nero was killing Christians. He was lighting them up as torches to light his garden. And yet, And and so Peter's letter, nonetheless, is about hope. In chapter 3, verse 5, he urges them. He says, hope in God. See, not in the things in this world, but hope in God. And yet sometimes we live as though there's no sure hope, which was even the way that Martin Luther lived at times, uh, who was the leader of the Protestant Reformation. Great book by the name Kitty My Rib. It's about Martin Luther's wife. And uh, Luther helped uh, 11 women that are in a convent to escape. And Luther was able to find spouses, you know, husbands for all of these women except one. And was this contrary and sort of feisty Katie? And guess what? In God's providence, he knew exactly that was who Martin Luther needed as the leader of the Protestant Reformation. 
And so Luther had this tendency toward depression, and so he'd been in quite a funk for a number of days, and so finally his wife, uh, Katie, who's quite a character apparently, she comes down one morning dressed in a black morning dress. And Luther says, oh, did someone die? Are you going to funeral? And she said, oh, no. She said, you've just been acting as though God died, and so I thought I would join you in mourning. Is that the way we live sometimes? And when we live that way, we are an incredibly poor advertisement for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we live in a world where particularly young people today are looking to see, does the Lord Jesus Christ, does his church really make a difference? Do we add something of value that's positive and transformative in the midst of a world that disappoints again and again. And so earlier in chapters 2 and 3, Paul addressed a household code. He spoke to husbands and wives and servants, but here he says all of you in verses 8 through 12. In other words, he says there's no exception. If you're a Jesus follower, this applies to you. See, does our life reflect gospel transformation not only in our talk, but also in our walk? So notice verses 8 and 9. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. See, does our life reflect a gospel transformation? It's fascinating. Many people know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and yet their life doesn't reflect the transformation that that should have. And so that's what we want to look at this morning. First of all, we'll look at the counterfeit gospel, and then we'll look at the authentic gospel. Now, first of all, the counterfeit gospel, and you know what that is? It's cursing others. And we see that in verses 9 and 10. It's a critical, complaining, judgmental spirit. And you know what that does? It simply reveals what's on the inside, pretty much what we're talking about in the children's sermon this morning. See, what's on the inside? The Bible says, out of the heart proceed all the issues of life. And this simply reveals that we're functioning from a justice or a works righteousness mindset. See, in the natural and sinful default mode of the human heart is self-righteousness and living by justice, returning evil for evil. And yet, on the other hand, you know, even returning kindness for kindness. But the Bible says, guess what? That's even the way people in the world respond. We, as God's children, adopted by faith in Christ, should be different. So if we profess to be a Jesus follower, yet grumble and complain about our treatment in life or about other people, you know what we end up doing? We slander the Lord Jesus Christ, and we poison those around us. And when that happens, it's such a tragic thing, because what does the watching world think about Christians today? They have said that we're judgmental. And even though we have absolute standards and we need to draw lines where God draws them according to Scripture, uh, we we still ought to be not known as being folks 
that are judgmental. We ought to be known for people who return blessing for curse. And yet we see this counterfeit in our lives, don't we? I see it in my own life. Peter says in verse 9, he says that that happens when we retaliate. See, retaliation is responding in kind. It's living a life of justice, not of grace. See, retaliation is repaying evil for evil, insult for insult. It's just simply payback. It's demanding justice. And you know why we are so caught up in justice? Because we're made in the image of God. And one of the attributes of God is justice. And and God is concerned about justice, and we ought to be concerned about justice. But we really are fired up if someone has done something against us because sin has made us very self-centered. And so retaliation is as old as sin. Adam and Eve, you remember their first children, uh, Cain and Abel. What happens is Cain kills Abel out of his envy. And then Lamech, who is one of Cain's descendants, what he boasts to to uh, two of his two wives, he says, you know, man wounded me, but I killed him. I mean, that's not even justice. (laughs) You know, he should have just simply wounded him. But you see what happens in our sinfulness. We retaliate and we always do worse to others than they did to us. That's the bent of our sinful human hearts. And so the scripture calls us to leave this counterfeit gospel of, of cursing others and And that's what happened in the early church. Acts chapter 2, you read at the end of that first chapter, and what do you find out? It says that they broke bread together in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. How, in the midst of a culture that was absolutely hostile to Christianity, was it that they had favor among all people? It was because, secondly, they demonstrated the authentic gospel which is blessing others even when they treat us improperly. And so he says, finally, all of you. He means there's no exceptions. If you are a Jesus follower, you name Jesus as your God and Savior today, this is the way you should live. Gospel transformation is for every Christian. You know, it's not just simply for us to get into heaven, but it's for us to live a different quality life that's attractive to the watching world around us. And here Peter lists five gospel graces, and you can write these down, five of them that are evidence of a gospel-transformed life. First of all, harmony. Verse 8 says, live in harmony with one another. See, does a party spirit characterize my life? Is it always us and them? Must I always be right and they are wrong? See, is it always that we are or I am better than they are? See, this is a matter of self-righteousness. And you know what that's about? That's really not understanding the gospel. There's a need for us to say that we're better than other people. It's self-justification. And what the scripture teaches is justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ. He is our righteousness. He is our perfection. That's why we don't have to be right all the time. Just half of the time. But that's a bent that we all have. 
And so live in harmony with one another. And that's why Peter quotes Psalm 34, which we read uh, this morning, which Jonathan read. And God says there, whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his lips from speaking to Zeke. We must seek peace and pursue it. See, this is gospel living. This is blessing others. Why? Blessing others even when they curse us. It's because, you see, Jesus was nailed to the cross. And when he was hanging on the cross, he with joy and delight went to the cross, is what Hebrews says, bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place condemned he stood. And he did it with joy that he might receive the curse and he might give us the blessing. See, that's why, as Christians, we should respond with harmony and blessing those who maybe treat us unkindly. Second uh, gospel uh, transforming grace is sympathy, verse 8. Be sympathetic. You know, have a heart for people. It means with pathos or with feeling. See, this is the very essence of what it is to be Christ-like. In Hebrews chapter 4, 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unacquainted with our weaknesses, but one who is in all points tempted like we are therefore without sin, and yet without sin. Jesus was sympathetic. And so I simply ask us, are we sympathetic toward others? And and you know when you're sympathetic toward others, it's it's because you know your own sin. You know your own weakness and your own brokenness. So harmony, sympathy, thirdly, the gospel transformed life demonstrates love. Love as brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ. We are members of God's family. What an amazing thing. We who were once outsiders have been adopted into God's family. And Hebrews 2 says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And so we are to so loved by the Father that he has bound us together as a loving family. Do we so demonstrate within our Christian community love that when outsiders have the privilege to touch base with it, they say, my, my, how they love one another. And you know what? The world's hungering to see that reality of Jesus right here at Clover ARP Church. And then a fourth evidence of gospel transformation is compassion in verse 8. Jesus showed compassion to us. See, this is the most frequently attributed emotion attributed to Jesus in all of the gospels. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 4.32 to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, compassionate, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Why should we be compassionate? Because God has showed us compassion. And so therefore, we have the privilege of extending compassion to those who are around us. And then the fifth quality is humility. See, Jesus humbled himself, taking human form, giving up his heavenly glory, and even his earthly right to life. And in humility, he took the towel, did he not, in the upper room in John chapter 13, and he washed the smelly feet of the disciples when no one else would do it. It was the task reserved for the most menial and the lowest servant in the household. Humility 
See, this is authentic gospel living. But how do we do this? Now, I want to be clear about this, and you need to listen carefully. Uh, Don't go home and try harder, okay? Do not go home and try harder, because that means you're going to be doing it in your own strength, and that's going to be a failure for you and for me. You go home looking at Jesus and the gospel. And so how can we bless others? Notice verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult for insult, but with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Peter always appeals to what Jesus has done, his life, his death, his work on the cross. And that is what motivates us. Not trying harder, but looking to Jesus. He says that our blessing is, that our, our calling is to bless others, that that is our vocation. You know what a vocation is? It's a calling. That, above everything else, is your life calling and mine, even in some ways beyond my calling to be a minister of the gospel. See, how will the gospel enable us to fulfill this vocation? Well, two simple ways. First of all, meditate on Jesus taking the curse for our sin. Just meditate. Spend some time thinking about Jesus taking the curse for our sin on the cross. Verse 18 reminds us about that further in the chapter. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Jesus was the only righteous one, the only just one, the only perfect one, and yet he, as the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness or the perfection of God. And he gladly did that for you and for me, for the multitude of our many sins. And so that's why Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the cross, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. Jesus gladly took the curse that he might give us the blessing. And that is what empowers and enables us to return blessing when we have received the curse from people. But the second way that the gospel enables us to fulfill our vocation is by meditating on the fact that we have been blessed to be a blessing. Think about that. That, That's your vocation. You and I have been blessed in Christ to be a blessing in our family, in our church, in our school, our neighborhood, our place of work, wherever we are. And so we glorify God. You know, the catechism says, what should we do? You know, what's man's chief end? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. One way that we glorify God is by blessing others rather than grumbling, complaining, judging. And so listen again to that calling. It says, to this you have been called. And guess what? 
That was the same calling that Abraham had as our forefather in the faith back in Genesis chapter 12, beginning with verses 2 and 3. God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, in order that all people on the earth may be blessed through you. Why did God call Abraham our forefather in the faith? So that through him would come Jesus, who would bless all the nations. But you see, what, was, what did he also call Israel to do? Which, this is the beginning of the church. See, we're to be a blessing, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, taking it across the street to our neighbors, being a blessing because why? God has chosen to bless us, and are we worthy of it? No. And so we're called to bless. You know, man that returned blessing for curse, though imperfectly, was Nelson Mandela, He was released early in the 1990s from a South African prison after 27 years. And when he was elected president, uh, the first democratic uh, elections in South Africa in its history, it was expected that he would retaliate, that that he would curse the white Afrikaners who had uh, foisted apartheid on them and had treated them unkindly for years. Well, if you've seen the movie Invectus, it reveals the true story. Did you know what Mandela did? He blessed rather than cursing. Invectus stars Morgan Freeman as Nelson Mandela and Matt Damon as the captain of the South African rugby team. And what you find out in this true story is that what Mandela tried to do is to unite a broken country that had been divided by apartheid. And what he did was he enlisted enlisted the national rugby team, which was the pride of the Afrikaners of the white folks in South Africa. And there was only one black member on that team. And yet what happened was he, he blessed them and he held them up. And what happened was is that they won in God's providence in 1995 the World Rugby Cup. Totally unexpected. And yet you see what he was doing by blessing that rugby team and the pride of the Afrikaner white folks there in South Africa. He was trying to bring together. And so they won that World Cup. And so Matt Damon said of Mandela, he spent 30 years in a cell and he came out ready to forgive. See, that's the gospel. See, he understood his calling. He was called to bless others. And that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that you and I should be living out every single day of our life. Because Jesus lived the perfect life that we do not live. And he died the death that we deserve for all of the sins that you and I have committed. And then he rose again on the third day, transforming our life now and giving us eternal life forever. And so God the Son bore the curse of our sins so that we might shower blessings unexpectedly on the people who are all around us every day. And so that's your high calling and my calling to do that. 
people who don't deserve it because guess what? <laughs> you and I don't deserve the blessing of God's mercy and God's grace. And so let me read just in closing verse 8 again. Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called. If you name the name of Jesus, you've been called to be a blessing, and you have been called to return blessing for curse. And so how are people going to find out that Jesus makes any difference, or that the church makes any difference, unless that's the way you and I respond as we meditate in the gospel and as we look at Jesus who took the curse for us. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that it is supernaturally revealed because it's so absolutely contrary to my nature, to our nature as sinners. Uh, we are so concerned about being wronged. And yet, Father, somehow it doesn't bother us that your one and only Son, the Lord Jesus, took the full wrath of you, the just God, for our sins. And so, Father, grip us by that reality which has happened in history. And we would pray for uh, not only Clover, but for the ARP Church and for the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ worldwide in the midst of a world that often is hostile to the gospel that people would see that the Lord Jesus really does make a difference and that we return blessing for curse. And may that be to the glory of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.